I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 2. If you're new with us, I just want to say welcome. This is kind of a different Sunday, and uh, welcome anyway. Lean in with us. We're glad you're here. Um, Again, as you've heard, it's a unique morning. But uh, one of the things we do when we gather is we love to to spend time singing uh, in communion uh, with each other, in communion with the Lord up here at the communion table in a little bit. Uh, teaching, prayer, all these are things that we believe are a response to this great God and what he's done. And so, by the way, if you want to move up, you're more than welcome to. I'm not going to require you to do so, but it just feels like you guys are so far away in this unique arrangement. Um, But we're going to look at Mark chapter 2 in just a second. We're we're going to start a new series, um, and it's a series on uh, on community. And I know community is this sort of buzzword that we hear so much about. It's probably one of the more... uh, misunderstood terms, and uh, so we're going to get a chance to dive into that. So this morning's a little bit more of an introduction uh, to this series moving forward. One of the things, being completely blunt here, one of the things that our elders have noticed this year, our people, uh, or in 2016, where it was a hard year for a lot of us in community, um, there were a lot of situations that occurred that we look back and say, ah, We really wish they would have handled that one better. We really wish they would have leaned into the awkward conversation because we would have felt honored. We really wish they didn't run away. And uh, we really think this is probably, it is a good opportunity for us as a church to grow in some of these opportunities, uh, to not run away and to not be violent in our response to people, but to learn that we love God by loving others and we love others uh, as an expression of loving God. So we want to get a chance to do that for the next several weeks. And as we jump into that, um, you know, one of the things I was struck by this week is a quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, Beside the blessed, the blessed sacrament, the holiest thing in the world is your neighbor. Um, and that's, that's a thought that I think is going to be important for us as we think about this teaching and through, this, through, our, through our series here. And there's a lot of misconceptions of biblical community, and I'm just going to run through several of the misconceptions that I've seen a pattern of in my own life and in Christians uh, around uh, North America and even sometimes in our own community. Um, And I think it's important to start with, what is it not? Because we all have an idea of what we think community is, and then when it's not met, we feel really frustrated or burned, or i got to get out of here, these people um, are terrible, i got to find a better church. And so um, here are several misconceptions. One is that community is all about the warm and fuzzies, right? Like, oh, we're just going to have community, we're going to get together, it's going to be great, right? And so we have to be careful about that. As, as my friend Bob uh, Hyatt out in Portland, Oregon says, it's not community until it gets hard. Um, that when it really starts getting hard, that's when we get a chance to really say, do we believe this idea that God's unifying uh, bond of peace is the only thing that can keep us together? We get a chance to actually see, do we believe that? Um, D- uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you know uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called Life Together, and he had this great quote. He said, he who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. We have to be careful we don't idolize or romanticize the idea of community because that's the very thing that kills community. Um, if we just think it's going to be warm fuzzies and then it's not, we say, I'm out of here. Uh, when that's an invitation to draw us in. So that's the first misconception. Another one is that community is about us. 
That's a big one in our culture, right? It's about me. The reason why the Christian community is so different is because it's not about us primarily. It's about Jesus first. He's central to this process, who is the only one that gives us enough grace to lean in to the sinful person that's sitting to your left and your right right now. Without that, our priorities being screwed up, we're always going to be frustrated. We're always going to say, I'm out of here. This is, this is terrible. So community is not primarily about us. It is not. Here's another one. If we ignore the issue or the problem, nobody will notice. And even if they do notice, it'll just go away on its own. Right? Some of us maybe grew up in some family, origin, family of origin situations that you say, we're not going to acknowledge the elephant in the room, ever. And what happens is that elephant comes over and steps on us and, and kills us <laughs> if we don't acknowledge it. So we need to be people that say, hey, this is awkward, but we got to acknowledge this elephant. And uh, so that's one that we have to be careful of, that we don't run away. Uh, back to the warm fuzzies. We always get along and never have any tension, right? Sometimes you hear people say, oh, we just, we get along in everything. We share every common interest. That's great. That's a good start. I'm not sure that's biblical community. Because biblical community is saying Jesus is what unifies us even in our differences. And he's what we're after, not that we all get along and all of our preferences and conveniences are met. Um, you've heard me say this before. Biblical community is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus when the conflict happens. Sometimes people freak out. Oh, no, we're having tension. We don't have community. Maybe at that very moment, it's for us to say, where are we tending to the presence of Christ in the midst of this tension. Maybe it's at that very moment that God shows up. Here's another one. I don't really matter in community. My role isn't really needed. I don't need church. Church doesn't need me. And we have to be careful because that sounds very utilitarian. We're just using community for our own benefits, and if we don't see benefits, I don't need to be here. And again, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, every member serves the whole body either to its health or to its detriment. It's important for us to, to, to realize. Um, you know, the fall impacts our relationships. We can't get away from it. We cannot get away from how sin mars how we interact with other people, right? And normally we respond in one of a couple ways, right? You've probably heard fight or flight, right? I think there's actually a few more categories in that, right? Fight, like, you think I'm a jerk? Well, you're a jerk too, right? And we just lash back physically or verbally. Flight, I'm out of here. I'm just going to go into my mask. I'm going to go into my cave. I'm not going to share. No one cares. I don't want to get hurt again, right? But we also do things like we hide, we freeze, and we appease. Some of us can't run and we can't advance because we're so scared. Ah, we just lock up. We freeze. And some appease. And by that, I mean they say all the right things, but they do it to avoid the issue. Because if I really tell you the truth, there's going to be more tension. And so I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear. So everything just kind of calms down. We sweep it under the rug until we eventually trip over that lump in the rug later. But right now, I'm just going to say the right things. And so that's why, you know, when we're committed to a house church model the way we are, it means we're going to have more messes. That's a beautiful element that we care about being in smaller pockets of community with people. But it also means it's more dangerous. It's messy. And we've got to be okay with that. We've got to be okay with that. 
So you're in Mark chapter 2. Again, we're just going to briefly look at this. We're going to give a couple minutes uh, for you to interact with the person next to you about this passage. But I love this passage in Mark chapter 2. So let me read um, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered there that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. I love this passage. I've taught from about six different angles on this passage in different settings. You can talk about forgiveness, you can talk about Jesus and his authority, you can talk about all sorts of things, but I actually want us to look at it through the lens of community. What does this say about biblical community? What does it mean to be a group of people committed to Jesus who together are trying to live to love God and love others? And we see some pictures of this. And I want you to notice there's actually four lenses of which we can look through, four snapshots regarding community, good and bad, in this 12-verse passage, okay? So I want to just identify these, and then I want you to talk about it with the, the person next to you for a little bit, okay? The first one is unintentional, unhealthy community. Did you see it? There was some unintentional, unhealthy community. And it was the crowd. What is the crowd doing? They're doing all they can to listen to Jesus. Is that a bad thing? Inherently, no. But why does it say that the paralytic can't get to Jesus? The crowd. The crowd's the problem. You ever think about that? It's kind of unsettling for me. Because don't we just want to be people that all we do is pursue and listen and approach Jesus? Did you ever realize that there may be times that in your pursuit of Jesus, you may be unintentionally keeping others from seeing him too? Woo! That's worth sitting with for about 30 minutes. Because of the crowd. They could not get to him because of Jesus, because of the crowd. So the people are the problem, even though they're doing inherently a good thing. And the posture that they're doing is listening, but they're also unaware of others that want to listen to but can't. All right? So that's unintentional, unhealthy community. The cool thing is we see intentional, healthy community, though, don't we? Don't you see that there? Of course, the four friends. They're never named. We don't know who they are. I call them friends. There's not much mention if they knew this man very well. I always assumed they were friends, but it doesn't say that they were lifelong buddies. 
Now, you think, how can this happen? You know, most, most houses were made of stone, and then they had kind of they had branches and boards and sticks that they'd put across and then put hard clay. They'd pack hard clay on top of it. And uh, people would put a staircase up to the outside, so at night you could feel the cool breezes after a hot day, and you'd want to go up on your roof and kind of feel that. It's pretty normal. So they say the only way we can get this person to Jesus is if we cause some vandalism. And they start picking up some shovels, start poking a hole in the ceiling of this roof, of this roof, a hole in this roof. Now, what's interesting, can you imagine being in the house and all of a sudden you start hearing like clumps of dirt falling? What, what, what's, what is that? And all of a sudden, there's this spotlight and dust, you know, this kind of spotlight shows up and it gets bigger and you hear people talking and whoa, step out of the way. And they take his mat and they put a rope on each corner and these four friends lower him down to the feet of Jesus. Unbelievable. They were willing to do whatever it took to get their friends to the feet of Jesus. Their friend, I'm assuming their friend, this person to the feet of Jesus. Even if it meant vandalism. I'd love to talk to the owner of this house. What are you thinking when this is happening? Maybe he's one of the owners. But he just said, we have got to do whatever we can to get this man to go to do this because he can't do it on his own. So we see this intentional, healthy community. But right after this, Mark wants us to see this intentional, unhealthy community. Do you see it? The teachers of the law, the religious people, the people that are supposed to get it. Right? Verses 6 and 7. Now the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And it says, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. Now, I think most of us say, of course he did. He's God. He knows everything. But don't overemphasize Jesus' divinity and underemphasize his humanity. Could it be that Jesus was such a compassionate person that he noticed people well enough to know they're ticked off at me right now. You know, psychologists say the one emotion that you can't hide, no matter how hard you try, is resentment. You wear resentment. Could it be that Jesus saw the resentment on their face that they were unable to hide? He knew what they were thinking, right? So unhealthy, intentional, unhealthy community the, the posture is critiquing or, or grumbling. You ever notice those, notice those people? Great stuff is happening in church. Great stuff is happening within a small group or a house church, and there's this, always this group of people that all they do is complain. It's like, are you serious? Nothing kills healthy community more than entitled grumbling and complaining. And that's what they're doing. Who do you think you are? Why? You're not doing it the way you're supposed to. Who? What? And then we see this last picture. Unintentional, healthy community. All right? Then it's back to the crowd. They're part of the problem. Then they see Jesus do this amazing thing. The man gets up. They walk out. Their only response is amazement, which turns into praise. How in the world can this? This is amazing! Right? They didn't wake up that day saying, we're going to praise Jesus at the end of today. They're just blown away. Their only response to amazement is, we just have to praise this God who did something amazing through this person of Jesus. It seems to be that Jesus kind of likes to poke in. Right? He could have said, you know what? 
I'll, I'll make you walk now, but when all those guys leave, I don't want to cause a stink, then I'll forgive your sins. It's as if he's saying, hey, you don't think I can do this? You watch this. Your sins are forgiven, and why don't you get up and walk? It's like he's just sticking it to him. Mark wants us to see this contrast, healthy, unhealthy, healthy, unhealthy. And I think this is important for every church to wrestle with this. So here are a couple questions. I'm going to throw out a few questions, and then we're going to have uh, some time to turn to the person next to us and interact. You can take whatever, you probably have time for one question. I want you to interact with it a little bit, and I think it'll prime the pump some more for more conversation into the week ahead. All right? First one is this. Why did Jesus say to the man, pick up his mat when he no longer needed it? If he doesn't need his mat anymore, why does he say pick it up and take it home? You can chew on that for a little bit. Number two, who am I in the story? I mean, honestly, who am I in the story? What posture am I living out? Maybe a better way to identify who am I in the story. And don't always jump too quickly to assume you're the hero of the story in intentional, healthy community. And me either. But sit with that. All right, here's another one. Think about the four snapshots, right? The crowd. How might my pursuit of Christ be blocking others from seeing him too? The four friends or the four individuals. How might I pick up the shovel and start digging for others? And who might those others be? What would I have to give up for that to happen? It may not be vandalism, but it may be something else. How about the teachers of the law? Do I have a critical spirit? How is my critical spirit impacting what God may want to be doing here? And how would I or others know if I have a critical spirit? And then the crowd at the end. When was the last time I've been amazed by God's healing, redemptive, amazing work in the world? And in my amazement, have I returned to just say, God, you're amazing? I have no other response just to say, you're great. And then the last one, the bigger one, what implications does this story have for your life right now? Maybe you say, most of the time I'm this, but I feel like the last couple of days I've been this person in the story. Maybe there's a response of gratitude or of confession or of wanting to make something right with someone else in the room. Feel free to do that. But as you go into discussion, I don't want it to just be a fun little moral story of like, how do I be better at community? Mark wants us to see this. The gospel story is actually unfolding in these 12 verses. And here's how it goes. The God of heaven knew you were a paralyzed man knew you were a paralyzed woman in your sin, and you couldn't get to Jesus. So you know what he had to do? He had to tear a hole in heaven and lower his son Jesus down to you. So you have access to be able to have your life redeemed, your sin forgiven, and you to have healing and wholeness. And sometimes there's a group of people that say, well, that isn't the way it's supposed to be. That's too loving. That's not loving enough. You know what? We're going to be a church that's going to work hard to offend the spiritually entitled. Because I don't see anywhere in here where Jesus honors spiritually entitled people. 
Instead, he runs after people going, I am so spiritually paralyzed in my sin, I need help. And then when we experience that, we turn around and we say, now it's our turn to dig holes in the roofs of situations so that Jesus can have someone brought to them and I can be a part of God's mission of participating with them in redemption. That's the joy. That's the beauty of the story.